0: This week, I don't know, some of you may be waiting for the blessing um, so you can find some seats, but actually um, we feel like we've blessed the kids enough, Um, so no blessing for them today. Um, We're actually going to make them sit through my sermon. That's how blessed we feel they already are. Um, So if if you're kind of on an aisle and you have some empty seats and you could scoot in, give some people some room um, that are standing in the back, we we have, you know, the front row is always open. Um, If anybody wants to come down. Um, be the next contestant. Um, But we are continuing our series called Seeing Jesus, and for the last several weeks we've been uh, in the book of John and specifically looking at um, the miracles of Jesus, what John calls the signs that Jesus performed, and John records these in his gospels for a specific reason. Um, He says that he's written these so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing that you may have life in his name. Uh, so we're going to look at the fifth of the seven signs this week. Um, and before, but before we do, um, you know, I want to give a little context to you. Um, there, uh, a few years ago, not, not too long in the distant past, um, there was a movie. Um, some of you will probably recognize it. It had both the word Talladega and Knights um, in it. It had a very uh, well-known character named Ricky Bobby, um, and some of you are familiar with the movie, some of you aren't, but um, in that particular movie, one, one scene really stands out, and before I'd seen other parts of the movie, this was the only part I had seen, and it was this prayer scene that happens, um, and so the family is gathered around the table, and the father of sorts um, is praying at the head of the table for the meal, and, and there's this discussion that goes on, right, because he insists on praying to baby Jesus, right? Specifically naming baby Jesus while he's praying. And, and then this discussion and the banter goes around because some people are insisting that it, he's not a baby anymore, right? Um, that he grew up to be a man and, and it's things like he had a beard, you know. He's So stop praying to baby Jesus. But he insisted on praying to little golden, fluffy, 8-pound, 10-ounce um, baby Jesus throughout his prayer. Now, why do I bring that up uh, this morning? Um, well, mainly because I couldn't show the clip um, in church, but, um, but the other reason is uh, because we have a tendency in ourselves to pick our favorite Jesus, right? So your favorite Jesus, well, it may be baby Jesus, I don't know. Um, but your, you know, your favorite Jesus might be water to wine Jesus, right? Because he was fine with the party, um, fine with supplying alcohol um, and all that goes along with that. And so your your favorite Jesus is party Jesus, um, water to wine, John chapter two Jesus. Um, or maybe you know your Jesus is your favorite Jesus is the woman at the well Jesus, right? man, you know, Jesus meets the woman at the well and meets her in her need and spe- speaks to her in that moment right to her heart, you know, maybe that's your favorite Jesus is woman at the well, Jesus. Or maybe, you know, your, your favorite Jesus is I never knew you, Jesus, right? Um, because you're, you're pretty hardcore about, you know, you gotta live up to these certain standards and there's, darn it, there's a bunch of Christians that at the end of the day, Jesus is just gonna be like, I never knew you. Right, um, and that's you know why they should have listened to you while they were here, um, is so that they didn't have to hear those words. But but some of us we have a tendency to pick a favorite Jesus. It may not be baby Jesus, but it may be one of those that I listed or or another one. Um, and and you know we treat it kind of like we're picking our favorite Avengers character, right? And so and so some of you you know you may be like the littlest brother in your family or something and so your favorite Avengers character is the Hulk right because every time your brothers pick on you you wish that you could turn green and all your clothes would rip off and you could just pick them up by the leg like he did to Loki and that one just wham wham, wham you know to the big brother so maybe the Hulk is your favorite Avenger. Or, or maybe Iron Man is your favorite Avenger because he's got all the cool gadgets and he drives really sweet cars, you know, and so, and so maybe, you know, Iron Man's your favorite Avenger. He flies too. That's pretty sweet. Um, or maybe, you know, Hawkeye is your favorite Avenger because, you know, he's not really superhuman. He's just really awesome um, with a bow and arrow and you wish you could shoot like that. And so maybe Hawkeye's your favorite Avenger. Um, well, uh, sometimes we treat Jesus that way. Um, but, but the problem with picking our favorite Jesus and, and focusing on our favorite Jesus um, is that when we do that, we miss the rest of Jesus. And, and what we really want is a full picture of who Jesus really is, not just our version of who we think he should be. Um, well, as we look at our passage this morning, um, we're gonna understand why it's so important Why seeing Jesus correctly is so important. Um, Seeing Jesus the way we see him, how we see him, um, determines how we're going to live out our faith. Um, And as we look at the passage this morning, we're going to see two things. We're going to see a word of hope, um, but we're also going to see a word of caution. Um, And and the word of hope and the word of caution um, together are going to bring us to um, our bottom line. But before we put up the bottom line, no, take it down. Before we put up the bottom line, <laughs> I, I just want to let you know, okay, ahead of time, when you read the bottom line, you're going to feel like, I'm Debbie Downer, okay? We came here to talk about a miracle. Can we just focus on the miracle? Why do you have to be Debbie Downer? Um, but, but I want you to know I'm not I'm not Debbie Downer, okay? Um, this is not about being a downer. this is about Gracie meets truthy okay um, so so grace is going to meet truth here um, in our passage today and and that's and that's really important, right John chapter 1 at the beginning of his gospel says that Jesus was full of grace and truth, right and so and so we're going to have Hope and caution, we're going to have grace and truth um, in our passage this morning, and that's going to bring us um, to our bottom line, which we now will put up and leave up on the screen this time. Yes, and here it is, okay? Um, And the bottom line is this, that, that Jesus didn't promise a certain way of life, okay? He promised a way to life that is certain, okay? In this passage, we're going to see that Jesus didn't promise a certain way of life. A lot of times because of our culture, because of where we live, because of you know, what we watch on TV, the things that surround us, right? we start to feel like um, Jesus promised us a certain way of life, a worry-free life, an anxiety-free life, a struggle-free life, a disease-free life, a, a you know, death-free life, whatever it is that Jesus promised us some type of life, right? and that these miracles are somehow proof of that. But Jesus didn't promise us a certain way of life, well, other than that we would have tribulation, um, but, but Jesus didn't promise us a certain way of life, he promised a way to life that was certain, okay, and that's, that's what we're going to see in our passage here this morning. So would you pray with me before we dive into the text here? Uh, Father, thank you uh, for your grace, thank you for your truth, thank you for the way they balance us for the way they balance um, our view of you and lord i just pray that um in in spite of um whatever we bring to the table today that you would give us a true picture of of who you are of how we should view you of how we should operate in our faith um, with you balance um, holding the two things together and so we we pray that you would speak through your text speak through your holy spirit and that our, our, our eyes and our hearts and our minds will be open to, to what you have to show us and reveal to us today. Uh, and we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. Well, our our passage here this morning is in John chapter 6. We're actually going to cover verses 14 through 21. And it's a passage that's kind of sandwiched in between um, the feeding of the 5,000, which um, Larry preached on last week, and and his um, dialogue about being the bread of life. We we have this miracle that's kind of sandwiched in between there. It's just a few short verses, a very small paragraph. um, But that's what we're going to take a look at this morning. Um, and so, like I said, it follows right after the feeding of the 5,000, where, where there were five, more than 5,000 people. There were 5,000 men, not counting women and children. Um, and Jesus managed to feed all of them with five loaves and two fishes. Um, I know some of you moms are going to have households run over with kids this summer trying to figure out how to feed them. That would be a cool trick to pull off. Um, but uh, he managed not only to feed them, but to have leftovers, right? That, that everyone was full. When Jesus finished, um, and that's an important picture for us. Um, but then um, th- we're going to see a certain reaction among those who were there and Jesus' reaction um, to that. So join me, if you would, in John chapter 6, in verse 14. Uh, it says this When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Okay, their reaction was, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Now, why would, why would they say that? Well, well, first of all, John wanted these signs to point to Jesus as the Son of God, okay? So why, instead of seeing the Son of God, were they seeing this quote-unquote prophet who has come into the world? Well, essentially, uh, there were some fierce nationalistic longings during that time. If any of you have been watching A.D., the Bible continues, um, you've gotten kind of a glimpse into the suffering that the Jews uh, felt under the heavy hand of Rome and its rulers, and so there was kind of a, a groundswell uh, running, a current running underneath of people that wanted to find this prophet, to find this prophet that was promised, and and in him, him Jesus, right? Instead of seeing, um, Jesus as a fulfillment of the manna that came during the time in the wilderness with Moses, what they're seeing is that right that Jesus as a fulfillment of that, that he is the true bread of life. Um, Instead of seeing that, they're seeing a potential prophet who could be the next deliverer, that that just as Moses led them out of slavery in Egypt, that this next leader who they want to make king um, could be the leader of their army to overthrow Rome and liberate them. And so this fierce nationalistic longing to overthrow Rome is the reason that they have this reaction, that this is indeed the prophet um, who is to come. Well, we see um, Jesus' reaction to that in verse 15, Where it says, Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Uh, And when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. Okay, so uh, Jesus perceives what their intentions are, what their plans are for him, uh, and we see his reaction, right? Um, Matthew and Mark give us a little more perspective into exactly how this went down, that Jesus, seeing what was going on with the crowd, he didn't want his disciples to get caught up in all of this. Um, So actually, he escorts them down to the boat, sends them across the sea, and then he dismisses the crowds and goes off on the mountain to pray uh, by himself. We continue in uh, the second half of verse 17 uh, where an interesting stage is set for what's to come here. It says in um, verse 17, it was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. Why does he say not yet come to them? Isn't that kind of redundant? I think John just wants us to know that still Jesus is not with them, right? That they've embarked from the sea. Jesus is still on the shore. Um, and then he goes on in verse 18, The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. The, the language in the original uh, Greek kind of paints a more full picture of what John is trying to capture here, I believe. Um, in our English, it just says, it was now dark, right? Uh, but, but in the Greek, dark is actually darkness, is actually doing some action, right? So, so we perceive um, that darkness is now coming, right? That darkness has arrived. I, I think the description that John gives here is actually a picture into what life was going to be like for Jesus' followers after he had left, right? After the light of the world has gone out of the world, what it was going to be like for his followers. We get a little glimpse of that as the disciples are on the lake alone um, without Jesus. Um, So first we see that darkness has come, right? Next, it says that a strong wind was blowing. Uh, Matthew and Mark give us a little bit more um, of a description of that, specifically stating that the wind was against them, right? So darkness has come. There's a powerful force against them, uh, against where they're trying to go and then it says that the sea was awakening, okay? Um, The sea was awakening. The sea, or the lake, um, the sea in scripture is a picture of chaos, right? And so so we see chaos awakening on the waters as the disciples are alone in the boat uh, without Jesus. This idea of the sea being awakened, um, you may remember another passage where Jesus' disciples are in a boat and there's a terrible storm and the wind and the waves are crashing over and filling the boat and they're terrified. That's a different um, story, a different thing that happened with Jesus and his disciples and he's asleep in the stern of the boat. Um, When they go to wake him up and awaken him, right? it's the same verb. Right So in the one case, Jesus is being awakened. In our passage today, it's the sea, it's this chaos um, that's being awakened around the disciples. Um, then in verse 19, John goes on. He says, "When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, "It is I. Do not be afraid." And then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately... The boat was at the land to which they were going. Um, again, Matthew and Mark kind of help us to um, give a little bit fuller picture of what this would have been like. So when we take the two accounts together, we're able to picture, okay, what was it like to be on the Sea of Galilee? How long were they out there? Um, well, if we take the two accounts together, so John says um, that they, were at, they had rowed about three or four miles Okay, so they're about three or four miles from shore And the total journey was somewhere around five or six Depending on where they exactly started Um, So they're most of the way across the lake Um, But the interesting thing is when we add from Matthew and Mark That Jesus came to them about the fourth watch of the night Which is what those gospels tell us uh, The fourth watch of the night started at 3 a.m. and went until 6 a.m. Right, do you remember when they got into the boat? Yeah, at, at evening right? When the sun was going down. So depending on the time of year, the disciples have been rowing across this lake with the wind and the, and the waves beating them and splashing down on them in darkness for somewhere between six and nine hours, okay? If we extrapolate that out, um, they've averaged about a half a mile an hour to a quarter mile an hour, right? So we see the tediousness with which they are fighting this, right? We see the struggle. We see their sweat uh, and effort being poured in and barely making any headway whatsoever. Uh, and I think we've probably all been in seasons of life that are like that, right? When, when it seems like everything is against us. Uh, we're swimming upstream. Uh, it's like we're running on the hamster wheel, Right? and we're just running and running and running and never making any progress, uh, that, that the wind and the waves are against us, and, and what little progress we seem to make in one moment just pushes us back, right? And, and, and there's no end in sight to our situation, to our, to our plight, to this battle that we are facing. And, and, and we can feel that way, um, whether we're an, uh, an employer who, who the brakes just don't seem to ever come our way, for our business, or, or for an employee that just keeps getting passed over or can't get out of a situation in a job that you're in, right? We can feel that way in a season of our life if we're single, right? Wondering what the Lord has for us in our life. Uh, we can feel that way as a, as a student, right? As, a, as an elementary school kid or, or a middle school or high school kid, right? I, I just have to tell you that, that sometimes middle school and high school can be the most brutal places on the earth, right? And, and my advice for you is to hold on, right? It's a season, and believe me, the world gets less cruel somehow after you make it out of middle school and high school. It's, it's a much bigger world than that small universe that people are living in um, right there. And sometimes we feel that way um, as a husband or a wife when we're in a marriage, um, and we just don't know how things are ever gonna get better. Right? is anything ever going to change uh, the wind the waves are against us but there's an encouraging word there's hope uh, in this passage because in mark um, chapter 6 uh, verse 48 uh, he he provides this clarifying point and and remember it's a darkness they've been on the lake they're three or four miles from shore um, in a huge storm and yet Mark six forty eight tells us that Jesus on the other shoreline saw them, right? That he was aware, that he, that he knew, right? Their situation. And he saw that they were making headway painfully uh, because the wind was against them. And so when we're in those seasons of life where it seems like we're going into the wind and the waves all the time, um, it's important for us to know that we serve a God who sees, that we serve a God who knows. And not only that, but as we see in this passage that he's a God that is going to see us through uh, to the end. Um, So uh, we pick up again uh, in verses 20 and 21. So it's into this chaos, it's into this fighting uphill, uh, rowing upstream uh, that Jesus uh, speaks. And he says in verse 20, It is I, it is I. Now, for some of you, you just found a new favorite Jesus because it's proper grammar Jesus, right? It is I. Um, but not only is it proper grammar um, and important. Yes, yes, proper grammar is important. Um, but, but it's more than that, right? It, it's actually the same two Greek words that you would use, that Jesus does use um, in other places where he says, I am, right? That, that he is saying, I am. He is revealing himself as the great I am. And he says, do not be afraid. Or, or if you looked more closely at it, um, it would say, do not go on being afraid. Right? Do not let your fear run rampant as if I were not. Because I am. Jesus speaks those words uh, into the disciples' fear, into their situation, their reassuring words, from a familiar voice and sometimes we just need those sometimes we just need reassuring words from a familiar voice and we can all think uh, to points in our lives when there was that person in our life and hopefully you still have people in your life that speak those kinds of words to you um, people that you can trust Um, and I would just encourage you to not only hear those words but to receive them as well Uh, Because our tendency is to go, nah, 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 right? I'm I'm not going to believe that. You're just trying to say that to make me feel better. Um, But Jesus wasn't just saying this to make his disciples feel better, right? He was speaking the truth um, that he was the great I am and that there was no reason for them to fear. Uh, So what do we see in Jesus in this passage? John shows us Jesus walking on water. Uh, He shows him pronouncing himself as the great I am. Uh, In Mark and Matthew, we see that the wind and the waves cease as soon as he gets into the boat. Uh, And John tells us that immediately the boat arrived at the land. We see some important things here. We see John is specifically demonstrating Jesus's power and authority. His authority over nature to calm the winds and the seas. Uh, His authority over space and time, right? And gravity in in walking on water, uh, in in communicating that boat to its destination in an instant when the disciples had been spending all night to accomplish uh, the same thing. And, and I think that's a word of hope for us in this as well, um, that with Jesus, the impossible is possible. With Jesus, the impossible, the impossible for us, the things that we could work at for not only hours, but days and weeks and months and years to bring about a desired outcome, Jesus can do in a moment uh, with a word, without even speaking a word, Jesus can do those things As I think about the impossible I think about um, <clears throat> One of the things that we as people and, and, and as we consider people that we care about One of the things that we long for the most Sometimes is for a Change of heart Right and we see over and over um, that, that we can Push and we can prod and we can even Nag and we can bring our best arguments You know and try to circle it around from the back And then bring one up here and try to change Someone It's nearly impossible for us to change a heart to change a person Uh, but there are plenty of people seated in this room right now that are evidence of God's ability to change a heart in a moment right that sometimes uh, wives or family members are baffled at the fact that they have insisted and pleaded and prodded and nagged for years with no Uh, Effect with no change whatsoever. And all of a sudden, God just comes in and does something and changes a life, and and it's done. Uh, The impossible has become uh, possible. Uh, And it's a word of hope for us that, that Jesus is all of those things. He has the authority, He has the power, He is the I am, that the impossible is possible with him but there's also a word of caution here I believe you know as I was going over this text I thought when I first started that it was going to be pretty easy because it's an awesome miracle and people are afraid and all of a sudden Jesus gets in the boat and he shows up and you don't have to be afraid anymore but (laughs) then I was kind of dumbfounded because I realized that they weren't even afraid until Jesus showed up it's like, wait a second, right? We, we, when we just you know, read through the passage, we don't pay attention. We think that they're afraid of the storm, right? That, that they're out there fighting against the storm. But no, they, they weren't afraid, right? They were just doing their thing. They, they were familiar with the lake. I mean, it was back-breaking work. It was frustrating, but, but they weren't scared of the storm. They got scared when they saw Jesus. Right? I mean, I'd be scared too if I was out in the middle of a lake and it was pitch black and I was three miles from the shore and I'd been at this for six to nine hours and I was exhausted and all of a sudden there's some guy walking on the water in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah, you, you could believe I would be scared, right? Um, but, but with most of the miracles that John records, he, he also has a, a large theological purpose or explanation that goes with it like the feeding of the 5,000 and the dialogue afterwards where Jesus proclaims himself to be the bread of life right that he's a fulfillment of that manna that he is the bread come down from heaven but but here we just have a miracle that's kind of sandwiched in between two other stuff and two other things and and John never really refers to it again it's an interesting thing Um, and I just couldn't get away from the context that it was in I I couldn't get away from the fact that that this miracle that this sign is sandwiched in between two very clear statements okay and the two very clear statements are people who had confused Jesus for someone who had come not for God's will and God's purposes but someone who had come for their own will and their own purposes right? That that after the feeding of the 5,000, we see a bunch of people who wanted to make him king, not because that's what Jesus came to do, but that's because what they wanted him to do, right? Not because of who Jesus was, but because of who they wanted him to be. And then in uh, verse 26, uh, those same people, Um, you see some of them stayed on the other side of the lake where Jesus had fed the 5,000 and I'm I'm sure they woke up over there, spent the night over there hoping that when they woke up that Jesus would still be there, right? And maybe he'd make breakfast, right? Maybe somebody had two eggs and a piece of bacon. Well, no, not the bacon. Um, Two eggs and I don't know what else you eat for breakfast. Um, Maybe that's what they were hoping for, right? Right? matter of fact, Jesus' next words are going to tell us maybe that's exactly what they were hoping for, exactly why they stayed there. But, but then when Jesus isn't there and his disciples aren't there and their boat is gone, there's some other boats now and, and they decide to get in the boats and they, and they sail over to Capernaum. They start looking for Jesus and when they find Jesus, they say, hey, Jesus, you know, when did you come over here? And, and Jesus doesn't answer that question. Um, he speaks a very direct very abrupt uh, word of correction, right? And and here it is. It's in um, John chapter 6, verse 26. Truly, truly, I say to you. Um, In other words, make no mistake about it, okay? Make no mistake about what I'm about to say next. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, right? You're seeking me not because you understand that, that the manna was just a picture of the one to come, right? That, that I am God's provision, that, that just as the manna gave you life in the wilderness, right, that I have come to give life, that I am the true bread of heaven, okay? You didn't come seeking me because you understand that, right, or because you want that. Uh, you came because you ate your fill of the loaves, right? He, he knew their heart, right? And he knew their heart wasn't for him. It wasn't for his purposes. It was for their own. Uh, and how they could use him to fulfill their wants, to fulfill their needs, right? That that what he had done for them appealed to the flesh. And now they wanted to take their purposes and their plans for his life uh, and make it what they wanted it to be. And it's a word of caution for us, and, and and it goes right along with the idea of us having our favorite Jesus, right? That that we have a tendency to focus in on one aspect of Jesus or another to the neglect of the other characteristics, to the other attributes of who he is, of, of one part of his life and ministry, at the neglect of, at the expense of the other parts of his ministry. And what we need to see is the whole Jesus, right? And and when we see it, we're reminded that Jesus didn't promise a certain way of life. What he promised was a way to life that is certain. Right? That he was the bread of life. He makes that clear in John 6:38 and 40. It says, "For I have come down from heaven not to do this is important, not to do my own will and he could insert there or your will, but the will of him who sent me." For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. You know, one of the words that we heard over and over uh, in seminary was attention. I'm sorry, I I put another letter. Not attention, like are you paying attention? Um, But the word tension right? How to, how to hold two things together at the same time. It's kind of like the tension between grace and truth, right? We need both of them. Jesus was both of them, and so we have to hold those two things in tension, right? We don't want to be all grace and no truth, and we don't want to be all truth and, and no grace, um, but we need to be both of those things, and, and our, our view of Jesus, our understanding of who Jesus is needs to be the same way, Right? We need to have all of Jesus, the whole perspective, his life, his ministry, his purpose, his accomplishments. I mean, to hold them together. And so um, I created this little um, <clears throat> chart that might help us picture that, might help us understand that um, a little bit better um, because sometimes we focus on miracle worker Jesus, right? And, and don't get me wrong, right? Jesus still works miracles. Uh, some of us in here have experienced those miracles. I talked about it at my daughter's baptism. Um, that just a few weeks prior to that, God had miraculously healed her foot, right? Simply through prayer. God still works miracles. He is a miracle worker. He has the power and the authority over sickness and illness and death and all kinds of things. He is still that. But we hold that in tension with the fact that he was also the suffering servant of Isaiah fifty three. It's it's by his stripes that we were healed. And so we hold in tension the fact that he has all power, um, but yet he chose humility, right? That that he has all authority, and yet he decided to submit himself to the Father's will and not his own. Um, That he is deserving of all glory, and yet he underwent suffering, We hold the miracle worker. We hold the power and the authority and the glory that goes with his deity, uh, with his role as a suffering servant and humility and submission and suffering. And when we hold the two together, we have the right view of Jesus. Uh, We have a view of Jesus that allows us to abide in him and understand in him, understand him and submit to his purposes, submit to his plans, to pray the way he prayed not my will but your will be done and so it's holding those two intention that allows us to have confidence in who Jesus is um, and yet not to be disappointed when he doesn't carry out our plans and our ideas uh, for how he should operate Um, we worship Jesus he is he is worthy of our worship and our praise and our adoration our our lives because of what he has done for us regardless of what he is going to do for us in this life because he never promised us a certain way of life what he promised us was a way to life that is certain would you pray with me Father, thank you for grace and truth. Uh, thank you for um, the way they complement each other. They, they keep us on balance uh, to know that you are the great I am, that you possess all power and authority, all glory you are worthy of, and yet uh, you set an example as a suffering servant of humility and submission. Uh, you set that example for us as well. And uh, So Lord, I pray that you would help us to take those two ideas into our hearts and hold them in tension and realize that it's it's truth it's it's a picture of who you are Um, lord i pray that you would help us as we go out to be focused on you and and uh, wondering where we can look to you more and submit our lives more to you uh, today so we give you thanks and ask all these things in jesus name amen well um as we do every week uh, we have our prayer table set up over here, and we're gonna have some prayer partners available for you as well. Uh, just a few reminders that there's the VBS sign up out there. If you have one of those information cards and you want a free gift, that's at Guest Services. Um, there's more information out there if you need it. Uh, my prayer for you this week uh, is that you would um, have a proper perspective of Jesus, right? That, that we would pick out those places where we have our favorite Jesus, Um, and and make sure that our understanding is full and correct uh, because the way we see Him is the way we're going to live out our faith, uh, the way we're going to live out our walk with Him, uh, allowing us to abide in Him. So, love you guys. Have a great week.